Amen. We get to sing of the bliss. The bliss of that glorious thought that our sin is nailed to the cross. And we get to welcome others into that same bliss. It's the unfolding of acts, isn't it? Calling upon others to join in that bliss of salvation, the knowledge of God through his son Jesus Jesus himself said at the beginning of the book of Acts, which is where we are in our series, Saved to be Sent. Jesus gave them these words echoing the Great Commission. You're going to be my witnesses, Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, the uttermost parts of the earth. Now, Jesus has been, he's been putting up these signs, letting the church know throughout his ministry, and then as he's commissioning them, look, this is about the nations. And as we've been walking through Acts, we've seen the gospel going, particularly as we looked at Philip the deacon, as he preached the gospel in Samaria. He preached the gospel to the Ethiopian eunuch. We've seen the gospel starting to make its way to the nations, continuing the works of Jesus what Kyle brought to us last week. We saw the gospel going into places like Lydda and Joppa. And somehow Peter, who is a key leader in the church, somehow Peter is still under the impression that Jews are the recipients of the new covenant in Jesus' blood. And that's all. As we've been looking at the text, and as we're going to be looking for these next few chapters, we'll see how they continue to preach the gospel, to share the good news to Jews only, but God is changing that. And this story, this account in Acts chapter 10 is really the hinge where we see the floodgates sort of open up for the gospel to the nations, to the Gentiles. Now, today we're going to read as we go because we're covering a good chunk of Scripture. Uh, this is going to be a part one of two. Uh, well, I think it's going to be two. We'll see. So I'm just going to go today until I feel like it's a good place to stop. Um, and maybe it'll turn into three. Who knows? My intention is to read at least through verse 33 in Acts chapter 10. And so we're going to read as we go. So for now, I'll just pray. Father, help us. We've now called on you numerous, numerous times today, knowing that we are inadequate in ourselves to accomplish any of the work that you intend to do. Forgive us for thinking that we can manufacture this type of work, but it is work that comes from heaven itself, wrought by the Holy Spirit in the people of God those people professing the only name that saves, Jesus Christ. He is Lord. So help us 
Send your spirit to help us in our understanding. Transform us after the likeness of Christ, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. So the sermon this week and next week is going to be entitled, To the Nations. To the Nations. Now, we're going to read here in just a moment. We're going to see how Peter came to understand some new things for him that were foreshadowed in the Word, but obviously not very clear to him as he is learning them in this text today. But it's things related to prejudice. You know, this is how we naturally operate, isn't it? We gravitate toward people like us. We gravitate toward the things we're comfortable with. We avoid the people that make us uncomfortable. It is our nature. And in the worst cases, those people that are unlike us, we tend to want to write them off. We separate from those that are different. We, we settle down into our tribes. Let me surround myself with all the people that are only going to confirm the things that I want to believe. This is how we tend to operate. We look at others, we consider either consciously or unconsciously. It becomes sort of built into us. Background, socioeconomic status, skin color, ethnicity, profession, education, even sports teams. I know we got some old Miss fans that sort of, you know, come around here. You should hear, you should hear what Tennessee fans say about you. You should hear it. It's bad. And it's all because, you know, somebody had some experience at some football game, and now every old Miss fan is this, right? Uh, and some people live. They live their life putting these people into those categories. They have them figured out, and it reveals their prejudice. Would you believe that Peter was prejudiced? The gospel is not for these people, is it? The gospel is not for the nations, is it? And he has to wrestle with this in today's text. And thankfully, it wasn't a hard battle for him to just surrender. I'll give you this theme for today. God directs his kindness to every nation of the earth. God directs his kindness to every nation of the earth. There's a, there's a verse in Romans chapter 2 and verse 4. It says that it's God's kindness that is meant to lead people to repentance. And so what we're, what we're seeing as the gospel goes forward, these people who are not Jews, these people who are not part of the old covenant, they're not direct blood descendants of Abraham, these people are hearing of the kindness of God, and it is leading them to surrender everything to the Lord Jesus. It's God's kindness that is meant to lead you to repentance. As we walk through this, we're going to see sort of two things working here. There is the salvation of an individual, but we're also seeing the gospel going to the nations. This individual is representative, Cornelius is representative of the nations. So I'll give you some elements this morning of gospel advance to the nations. Elements of gospel advance 
to the nation. The first one we see from verses 1 through 8 in Acts chapter 10. Join with me in reading. It'll be on the screen. It says, At Caesarea, there was a man named Cornelius, the centurion of what was known as the Italian cohort, a devout man who feared God with all his household, gave alms generously to the people, and prayed continually to God. About the ninth hour of the day, he saw clearly in a vision an angel of God come in and say to him, Cornelius. And he stared at him in terror and said, What is it, Lord? And he said to him, Your prayers and your alms have ascended as a memorial before God. And now send men to Joppa and bring one Simon, who is called Peter. He is lodging with one Simon, a tanner, whose house is by the sea. When the angel who spoke to him had departed, he called two of his servants and a devout soldier from among those who attended him. And having related everything to them, he sent them to Joppa. First element is the preparation for God's intentions. Preparation for God's intentions. Now, let's be clear. The intentions that God has in this text are not brand new. You understand that the gospel was always intended to go to the nations. What did he say to Abraham in the covenant with Abraham? He said, look, in your offspring, that is singular, seed, we know that to be Jesus, in your seed, all the nations of the earth will be blessed. So from the very beginning of God calling out a covenant people, it was intended that this good news, this gospel would reach all the nations. So God prepares the way. God prepares the way. I want you to note, as we've been noting these past few chapters, the way that the Holy Spirit is orchestrating these things. That he is directing and guiding, and every step of the way, people are falling into what God had ordained in the unfolding of the church. Now we meet Cornelius. This is a a soldier, a soldier of reputable status. He commands probably a hundred soldiers. He became, commentators say, known and well-respected among the early church. We find him in Caesarea. Caesarea is a Gentile-dominant region. There are some notable Jews here as far as numbers, but it's, it's mostly Gentiles. And really, it's a fitting place for this kind of confrontation to happen. But what we're observing here is that God is preparing everything. God's intentions are are in the works, and Peter doesn't even know it at this point. I want to note a few characteristics about Cornelius. We learn of his, first off, sensitivity. It tells us that he was a God-fearer, just like the Ethiopian eunuch. He was a man of prayer and almsgiving. And the problem for him is that he is not a Jew, And so he could not have full inclusion in the worship of the God that he so desired to know about. And yet we see right here sensitivity. It seems at this point, even though he's yet to come in contact with the gospel, that the Holy Spirit is doing this work in him. We know the parable of the soils or parable of the seed. You may be familiar. 
It's almost like the Holy Spirit is getting involved here at this point and working the soil. Some of you farmers and you gardeners, you know about this, turning over the soil and getting it ready for the seed to fall, for the seed to take root, to grow and produce fruit. That's what the Holy Spirit is doing right here. And what he's going to encounter is something far better than just being able to be a proselyte Jew, not even a full Jew, not an outsider among the Jews, but he is being prepared for full inclusion into the people of God, this Gentile soldier. There's sensitivity, there's readiness. You catch him in his afternoon prayer, the ninth hour. He's doing what the Jews would do. Afternoon prayer, and then God initiates this. Now, I'll stop and ask you a question in terms of application. If you're searching for the will of God or you're looking for the guidance of God, let me ask you, are you, are you devoting yourself to him? Are you availing yourself to him? If you want to know God's will, if you want to have God's direction in your life, then will you surrender yourself to him in this kind of prayer? Look, I don't know how many times he had prayed in the ninth hour before we don't get that. It seems to be his habit. And on this occasion, God initiated this work in him. Sent the word to him. It tells us that his prayer and almsgiving were like a memorial offering. It's really Luke who's writing here. He's, he's speaking of the sincerity of his faith, but his faith just needs a clear way to go. It's almost like his faith is, is, is anticipating and, and longing. If you could imagine like a water balloon that's being filled and filled and filled and it's just waiting to burst. This is Cornelius. Pole Hill notes here, he says, I wonder what the content of his prayer was. Maybe we'll be able to know that one day, but Pohill suggests, was he praying for full inclusion? Did he realize that there was something missing? That this can't be all there is? To sort of look in from the outside as a non-Jew on the things that they do? Do y'all see that? This sort of sensitivity, this sort of readiness really is a prerequisite for conversion. You have to be willing to acknowledge your need if God is going to save you. Nobody was ever saved when they just, uh, you know, had the thought, man, I don't really need anything. Oh, he was longing for something more. He needed something. He was ready for it. There's sensitivity, there's readiness, and then there's obedience. He received clear instruction. There was no hesitation. And then he responds by sending his most trusted people. Now, you note that all of this is happening prior to conversion. All this is happening prior to conversion. Now, I am amazed at this because what it tells me is that there are these kind of people in the world. There are these kinds of people in Olive Branch, in DeSoto County, in the Memphis metro area. There are people right now, the Holy Spirit is prepping 
So that all we got to do is drop the seed in. Now, I want to find those people. Don't you? How are we going to find them? How are we going to find them? Living our lives on mission. Sharing the gospel. Bringing the good news to them. That is how we find these people. I would argue that that there are some that have been among us recently. I've told you before, just in, in the folks that we have baptized recently, I've told you before, it's, it's not common for pastors in the Bible Belt to hear somebody say, how do I go about repenting of sin? To me, that's the equivalent of what must I do to be saved? I know that there are these people out here, but sometimes I wonder if we forget that. You encounter all the opposition, and then you start to think, and you look at churches that struggle. You see the way that our society is going, and you just shrink back, and you forget that God has his work going on in these lives, and we have no idea yet. And yet, if we're just faithful to preach the gospel, when the opportunity arrives, we'll get there. Maybe there are some of you today. I don't want to pass by the notion or the thought that maybe there is somebody here today that the Lord has been working in your heart and you have yet to surrender to Christ and you know, like, today is it. I'm ready. Tell me what to do. What must I do to be saved today? It's repentance and faith in Jesus. Call upon the name of the Lord. Romans 10, you will be saved. I told you to note the orchestration here. Note the orchestration here. And I want you to think back upon your life, the preparation for God's intentions. There was a time you had no idea, but God intended to save you. There was a time when he set his affection on you and he he actually pursued you, First John 4, 19, why do we love? Because he first loved us. And I want you to see, you look into passages like Cornelius and you're like, man, well, well, that's, that's crazy. That doesn't happen. God just intervened and did all this stuff and, and brought him to Peter and orchestrated this whole thing. And then I would tell you to look at your own situation and say, do you not see how God orchestrated all of that for your salvation and for his glory? No, you just thought you showed up somewhere, somebody preached the gospel and, and you believed. Why is it on that day you weren't doing something else? Why is it on that day you were not sick? Why is it on that day you were not in a wreck on the way to hear the gospel? Look, we could go on and on and on. But consider how God worked it out. All the key players did their jobs. The driver got you there. Your car got you, whatever it was. (laughs) He orchestrated that moment when you would come to understand his love for you. And that while you were still a sinner, Christ died for you. 
preparation for God's intentions. You see that preparation happened in your life. The second element I want you to see from verses 9 through 16. The revelation of Gentile mission. So the preparation of God's intentions. Secondly, the revelation of Gentile mission. Look in verse 9. 9 through 16. It says, the next day, as they were on their journey and approaching the city, Peter went up to the housetop about the sixth hour to pray. And he became hungry and wanted something to eat. But while they were preparing it, he fell into a trance and saw the heavens open, something like a great sheet descending, being let down by its four corners upon the earth. In it were all kinds of animals, reptiles, birds of the air. And there came a voice to him, rise, Peter, kill and eat. Peter said, by no means, Lord, for I have never eaten anything that is common or unclean. And the voice came to him again a second time. What God has made clean, do not call common. This happened three times. And the thing was taken up at once to heaven. So we have the preparation for God's intentions. Now we have the revelation of Gentile mission. Again, this is not a new revelation. It is for Peter. But as we noted, this story, this this factor has been woven throughout the scriptures and now we're seeing it unpacked before our eyes. So the scene shifts to Peter. Really, as God is working out his orchestrating Cornelius's movements, now he's orchestrating Peter's movements. So God prepares the hearer as well as the speaker when it comes to the gospel. We often say God doesn't just ordain the end, he also ordains the means. He ordains the end and the means. I hope that's clear to you. So Revelation of Gentile mission. A lot of this narrative, thankfully, is very straightforward. It's not difficult to understand. Now, some of the things that we begin to uncover here, they are, they are heavy-duty concepts from the Old Testament. I don't want you to miss that. But as you read the story, it's clear as to what is happening. I will note at this point, I want to make sure that we're all on the same page when it comes to the word Gentile. The word Gentile simply means nations. So a Gentile would be basically anybody who is not a Jew. So when we're talking about Gentiles, we're not talking about a specific people group. We're actually talking about all the people groups of the earth other than Jews. Now, Peter here, he's at his lunchtime prayer. There's some consistency there, isn't there? He's at his lunchtime prayer. We just encountered Cornelius, afternoon prayer. Now Peter, again, you can make the application on prayer. He's praying and he becomes hungry and he's waiting. There's no indication that he's hangry, which is what I would be. Ask my wife. I read something not too long ago. I think I sent it to one of you guys. It was like, from the moment that I say I'm hungry, you got about 26 minutes before I'm a different person. Okay? So Peter, somehow he's hungry. He's waiting on the food to be prepared. 
this word trance. He goes into a, a trance. The, the word is to re, be removed from its place. So it's like he enters into a, a, another sort of realm for this vision to happen. Not that he is seeing things, but he encounters this vision in a trance. And what's the vision? The vision is a something like a sheet with four corners. Uh, commentators, many commentators believe that the four corners represent the corners of the earth, our compass. And it's descending, and on it we see creatures, all kinds of creatures, clean and unclean, according to the Mosaic law. Again, the four corners of the earth representing all of what God created. And then he receives this voice, rise, Peter, kill and eat. What does he do? Even in his hunger, he is not going to compromise his conviction. Lord, no. I would never do anything like that. And so you got to understand that Peter, this devout Jew, is having a crisis of faith. And God made it happen. You ever had a crisis of faith? Have you ever considered that that might be also orchestrated by God to push you to new growth, to push you toward mission, to shape you into the image of Christ? Now, I know we would all like Peter, we'd love to revert back to the things that we're comfortable with. No, I don't want to experience this. I don't want to go to these people. I don't even want to eat that food. I don't want to experience these things. And yet God pushes us to it. We don't want to just revert to what is comfortable. We don't want to revert to our prejudices. He would not compromise his conviction. He is in this crisis of faith. And then the voice. What God has made clean, do not call common. <laughs> I suppose the Lord, knowing how difficult it would be with Peter, we know Peter, we know his stories. It often takes a little extra nudging with him, not just one time, not just two times, but three times for Peter. And here again, it's as though the Lord knew that he would be resistant here. The Lord knew that this would be a hurdle for Peter. So three times. And it, it reveals two implications here. I want to note a couple of things. Two implications of this vision right here. Number one, food laws are now obsolete in the new covenant. Food laws are now obsolete in the new covenant. Now, I want to be clear. This illustrates food laws in the Old Testament are illustrative of the separation of God's people from other nations, that they are truly holy unto the Lord. So the food laws in the Old Covenant have served their purposes. They were barriers to social interaction. I hope, you, I hope you get the idea that if we abstain from certain foods, then we won't eat with certain people. That's the idea. 
So these food laws served their purpose, and they are now obsolete. Let me, let me turn to another passage real quick. Mark chapter 7. You can go there if you would like. Maybe just make a note of this passage. Mark chapter 7. Verses 14 through 23, Jesus is taking the opportunity to um, counter the way of the Pharisees, the super-religious folks. And in verse 14 of Mark chapter 7 through 23, it says, And he called the people to him again and said to them, Hear me, all you, and understand. There is nothing outside a person that by going into him can defile him. But the things that come out of a person are what defile him. And when he entered the house and left the people, his disciples asked about the parable. He said to them, Then are you without understanding? You also without understanding? Do you not see that whatever goes into a person from outside cannot defile him, since it enters not his heart, but his stomach, and is expelled? Thus he declared all foods clean. And he said, what comes out of a person is what defiles him for from within, out of the heart of man, come evil thoughts, sexual immorality, theft, murder, adultery, coveting, wickedness, deceit, sensuality, envy, slander, pride, foolishness. All these evil things come from within and they defile a person. I want you to hear, Peter needed to hear it. There is nothing inherently moral about any food or drink, according to Jesus. In the new covenant, the new covenant in Jesus' blood, old covenant restrictions are removed because we are past the types and the shadows that are given to reveal the real thing. Now, The real thing is Jesus. MacArthur says here, he says, dietary restrictions are actually now counterproductive to mission. I want to read another verse, well, at least a couple of more to you. Colossians 2, 16 and 17, obviously, Paul writing here, he says, he says, let no one pass judgment on you in questions of food and drink or with regard to a festival or a new moon or a Sabbath. These are a shadow of the things to come, but the substance belongs to Christ. And so we're dealing with real holiness here. Not the shadows, not the pictures, but real holiness that comes through Jesus. I'll read one more to you. 1 Timothy chapter 4, verses 1 through 5. It says, now the Spirit expressly says, like that's, that's a statement, just as a note, that's not a common statement. The Spirit expressly says, that in later times some will depart from the faith by devoting themselves to deceitful spirits and teachings of demons through the insincerity of liars whose consciences are seared who forbid marriage and require abstinence from foods that God created to be received with thanksgiving 
by those who believe and know the truth. Verse 4, for everything created by God is good and nothing is to be rejected if it is received with thanksgiving, for it is made holy by the word of God and prayer. So you're getting a little bit of how the scriptures is, uh, scriptures, they, they are uh, countering the movement of many of the religious people toward law keeping and away from faith in Jesus. So thus, this vision declares food laws obsolete. Now there is a second part of this, a second implication. That is, Gentile mission is now unhindered. Gentile mission is unhindered. Peter's about to be hit with this revelation, this revelation that we know from Romans 1, 16 and 17, for I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to anyone who believes. But then there's a statement, to the Jew first and then the Greek or Gentile. To the Jew first and then the Gentile. And we learn later in Galatians, as Paul is, is very harshly speaking against uh, righteousness by way of works, which is not a thing. We have no righteousness. We can't obtain justification before God by our works or law keeping or our diet or our practices or our schedule, our calendar, whatever it may be. And he says in Galatians 3, 27 to 29, for as many of you as many as of you as were baptized into Christ have put on Christ. There is neither Jew nor Greek, there is neither slave nor free, there is neither male nor female. Now I'm struggling. For you are all one in Christ Jesus, and if you are Christ's, then you are Abraham's offspring, heirs according to promise. I don't know if any of you today have any kind of Jewish blood in your body, but I hear of these things, and it causes me to rejoice in the salvation that is mine, a Gentile, that is yours, believer, a Gentile. We're not second rate. We're co-heirs with the eternal son, Jesus. And now this mission is going to Gentiles as Acts unfolds. You know, back in Mark 7, don't go there, but after Jesus said these things about how it's the things that come out of a person that defile him, he then goes on to minister to a Gentile woman. We need to understand, folks, that the new covenant supersedes the old covenant. Covenant. The new covenant answers the old covenant. The new covenant brings the Messiah, the one who is, who was and is, and is still rejected. I want to encourage you guys, as much as you are willing and able, pray for the chaos that's going on around the world. Now, if you pray for Israel, what you need to pray is for their repentance and faith. 
God has not provided another way around beside Jesus. And so your prayers need to be that they, along with their enemies, along with all those who hate God too, that they would come to faith in Jesus. He is the promise of their old covenant. And they, as the word says, they were destined to stumble over this cornerstone. They just can't accept that. This is the Messiah. You wonder if God fulfilled the old covenant to the Jews? Yeah, in Jesus. Now, as God would have it, as God prophesied through his prophets, now the gospel that was the stumbling stone and the rock of offense to those who would not believe in the Messiah that was sent to them. Now, that Messiah and his gospel, the good news of his perfect life, his sacrificial death, which is prophesied over and over again by the Jewish scriptures, this Messiah and his gospel are now being unleashed to the nations, the Gentiles. Christ has removed all the barriers. Christ, listen here, has rescued you from your prejudices. Or has he? I want you to think just for a moment. We're going to stop right here. I want you to think we've been challenged with this in our Tuesday Bible study in James. James talks about like when people come in and, and they're rich, like don't give them special attention. God shows no partiality. But I want you to consider, you consider those people that maybe you had a bad experience one time and now it has, it has tainted everything you, you, you think about them. Whatever that group of people may be, it's the group of people that you have determined to avoid. It's the group of people that when you see them, you go another way for whatever reason. You know, I learned as, as we were church planting in some kind of rough areas in Memphis, there were certain groups of people that surprised, surprised me as people that I tended to avoid. You know, I prided myself in those days ignorantly and foolishly about trying to plant a church that is multi-ethnic, where people of different skin colors come together. We worked very hard at this. And then God just showed me how, okay, Matt, you're wearing this as a badge. What about all your other prejudices? So I would ask you to consider, as Peter had to consider at this moment, as God reveals to him Gentile mission, I would ask you to consider who are the people that if you were honest with God, you've been telling him, don't send me to those people. I won't go to those people. And you know what you need? You need a Jonah 
kind of experience. He was crying over this tree that was dying and took away his shade, all the while image bearers in Nineveh perishing, hell bound. And he resisted every notion from God to go tell them the truth about, about the gospel. Maybe there is a, a version of that tree in your life. You're going to complain to God about that tree, but you're going to let you're going to let an entire people group not hear the gospel because of your prejudice. We're going to conclude with that um, confession. We'll respond as the Holy Spirit leads us, but confess those prejudices as he has revealed them. Consider how God has called you to participate in bringing the gospel to every nation, every person, every image bearer. If you are one of those like Cornelius that has been longing for the salvation that comes only through Christ, you hear this today, his life, his death, his resurrection, repent of sin. That means to turn away from your sin once and for all. I'm done with the old man. Give me Christ. And as the scripture tells us, as many as are in him have put on Christ. Your justification before a holy God is based upon him and him alone, his saving work. You may repent and believe today. I'll pray with you. Whatever your need may be this morning, I'll be available right here. Father, we conclude today, hopefully not deceiving ourselves into thinking that we truly have the kind of impartiality that you have. Father, it's, it's eye-opening and those occasions when we encounter the scriptures and you just show us our wickedness all over again. It seems as though we draw near to you and we look a little more like Jesus and then we look upon ourselves like Isaiah did and woe is me, I am so unclean. Father, help us to surrender all those wicked notions, wicked ways, even those ingrained ideas that we have that only the Holy Spirit can show us, help us correct. Show us these things that we may lay them aside. Lay them aside for Christ and his name and fame around the world. We pray these things in his precious name.